It's just been so difficult. It's just been so hard. How many times have you heard that phrase uttered over the past few months? Or how many times have you heard that phrase come out of your own mouth? As I interact with people in my life, people in Crossview Church or my friends and my family, I hear a version of this sentiment regularly. I hear a version of that coming out of my mouth regularly. How was your Thanksgiving? How's your family doing? How's work going? It's just been so difficult. It's no secret that our world is turned upside down right now, is it? From the pandemic to the political landscape to the added stress that comes around the holidays and colder weather creeping in and things like seasonal affective disorder causing us to feel down in the dumps. We don't have to sugarcoat it. Life is hard. And this has been a particularly hard season for many who are here this morning or who are tuning in online. We've lost loved ones in our body. We've seen friends and family, even our senior pastor, get sick. We've watched the world and too many in the church divide and wound one another over issues of preference in politics and policy and theology. Our marriages have struggled as we've adjusted to a new normal. Our kids have dealt with dramatic changes to their typical routine. Friendships that once existed over dinners and coffee have been relegated to group texts and Zoom calls. Grandkids that you used to see weekly or monthly are growing up in pictures and video calls. Add to all of these unusual difficulties, the regular run-of-the-mill things like surgeries and diseases and the struggle against whatever particular sin you're prone to, and things in life seem bleak. We've lost the ability to assume anything about tomorrow, right? We don't know if uh, at any moment we're going to experience another shutdown or another quarantine. It's just so difficult. If this is where you're at this morning or where you've been or where you think you might be headed, there is hope. There is hope. We're going to open up uh, Psalm chapter 8 together, and in it, uh, we're going to see that the Lord, our Lord, uh, the one who created everything we can see and everything we can't, remembers us. I forgot my clicker. Uh, we're kicking off our Christmas, e- our Christmas series uh, this morning, and that is called The Gift God Gave, uh, Expect the Unexpected. And uh, we're opening, as I said, with Psalm chapter 8 and a look at the unexpected way God remembers us. Uh, And then over the next three weeks, we're going to be taking a look uh, at the way our Savior came and the gift that he is. First with the anticipation of his arrival in the book of Isaiah, and then in his birth in the book of Luke, and finally, Uh, On Christmas Eve, we'll see his endurance of the cross for the joy set before him in the book of Hebrews. But as we kick off, our message this morning is titled, Unexpected Remembrance from Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 is a message of great hope, and it's my uh, prayer that when we finish our time together, you you will have seen the riches of God's glory and the profound and mysterious love that he has for you. If you haven't yet, uh, would you open up your Bible to Psalm chapter 8, or you can pull out the Church Center app, and all of the uh, sermon notes are in there along with the text, and then a spot 
for you to take notes if you're a note taker and want to do that. So Psalm chapter 8, if you'd follow along uh, as I read that. Psalm chapter 8. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. This psalm opens up with God's glory in creation. God's glory in creation. Verse 1 again says this, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. The glory of the Lord fills the earth. His name is magnificent. He has covered the heavens with his majesty. The whole earth declares the glory of of God. Psalm 19 expands this thought and says it like this in the first couple of verses. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. All around us, creation is screaming the glory of God. The heavens declare his glory. All we have to do is step outside and look around to see this. His majesty is everywhere. It's in simple things like the way the leaves change in the fall and the way that pine trees stay green against the beautiful, pure, white snow. It's in uh, the way that the gentle breeze blows and cools you on a summer day, and it's in the power of the wind as it takes down trees during a raging storm. His glory is found in the moon's reflection of the sun as you look up at the night sky or in the way that the stars shine against the vast expanse of space. It's in the soft lapping of water on the shore of your favorite lake and it's found in the power of the raging river in the spring when the snow melts and the river is high. It's in the simple sound of a bird chirping on a spring breeze and in the roar of a lion on the African savanna. All of creation, from the smallest, gentlest things to the largest and most powerful, all of it declares the glory of God. The majesty of God is all around us. It fills the earth. Creation is amazing. What's even more amazing is crea- than creation is how God works in this world. Let's look back at verse 2. It says, From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and avenger. God uses the weak to silence the strong. He uses the weak to silence the strong. By the mouths of infants and nursing babies, God silences his enemies. As we enter the Advent season, there is nowhere that this is more evident than in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came 
as an infant, frail, weak, needy, utterly dependent on Mary for all his nourishment and support. He didn't arrive like we might expect as a conquering war hero descending from the clouds on a horse wielding a sword. He came as a baby. God established his stronghold against his enemy by beginning as an infant. It's unexpected, right? And not only does Jesus come as a child, but in order to finally and fully vanquish Satan and death, he dies. He dies a horrific death on the cross. God works in this world in unexpected and astonishing ways, in ways that we can't understand, in ways that are mysterious and yet powerful. God can take even the smallest, weakest cry from the mouth of a baby and he can use it. God can take the most gruesome tool of death and punishment known to man, crucifixion on a cross, and he can use it as a tool of redemption and restoration and victory. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. David continues in this vein of praise in verses 3 to 8, but he shifts his focus a bit from God's majesty to God's mindfulness of man. David uh, looks at the world around him and he's struck by the glory and majesty and power of God, right? He's walked in nature and he's seen the vastness of God's creation and he's felt so small and so insignificant. And then, after looking around and seeing the night sky and seeing the mountains and seeing uh, the animals and the plains around him, he looks to himself, small and weak and frail, and he's awestruck at God's focus. He's awestruck at God's focus. What is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. This creator God, the one whose glory and majesty is shouted from the rooftops, the one at whose name demons tremble. Heavenly beings are around his throne day and night, and they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This God, he remembers you. He remembers you. Life has been difficult for the past several months. Life may have been difficult for you for a long time before that, but there is hope. The Lord remembers you, and he looks after you. It's easy for us to slip into patterns of thinking that are contrary to this, isn't it? Stay-at-home parents and Uh, Those changing diapers and feeding hungry mouths and doing the same things day after day with no one around to notice. Wonder, where is God in this? Where is God in this? It seems so pointless. Employees who labor all day long and are only noticed when they make a mistake. Wonder, where is God? What's the purpose? Young adults struggling to find their place and figuring out what they want to do with their lives. Wonder, does it even matter? Older adults look at what they've done and look at the time that they've got left and they wonder what they want their final chapters to be like. If what they did with their life mattered to God at all. Life is hard. It can feel like you're just one small person in a vast universe and you are. That's true. But the Lord of all creation remembers you. 
and he looks after you. Your value does not come from what you accomplish, who you marry, the kids that you raised or are currently raising, the job you do or the grades you get or the number of friends you have or the number of likes or comments you get on social media. You have value because the great I am has declared that humans and humans alone are made in his image, designed to reflect his glory. You were made in the image of God. You have value and worth because the one who made it all decided that you have value and worth. And that is enough. It's mind-blowing if we sit in this, isn't it? We're broken. We're sinful. We're rebellious. We're a lot like babies. We're needy. We're fussy. We're demanding. We're unappreciative. But God loves us. God loves us. In fact, he loves and values us so much that Psalm 8 says he gave us an exalted place above all creation, a place to rule, a place in verses 5 to 8 that's a little less than God, a place crowned with glory and honor, a place to rule over the works of God's hands, over the sheep and ox and the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea. You are not just an afterthought to the creation all around us. Humanity is the crown jewel of God's creation. You are not insignificant. You are not forgotten. You might be struggling. You might be in pain or dealing with feelings of depression or worthlessness. You might have begun to believe the lie that God is far off and he doesn't care about you. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. You have purpose. You have value. You are remembered and you are loved by God in heaven. Hymnist Frederick Lehman says it like this in the hymn, The Love of God. He says, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe, by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. He says, if the oceans were filled with ink, the skies were parchment, every tree and stalk on earth were a quill, and every human throughout history to have existed were a scribe by trade, we still could not have enough room to fill the skies with the love that God has for us. It's unbelievable how much God loves us. Verse 9 concludes this psalm with the refrain of verse 1. It's the only response that we could possibly have in light of God's love for us. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. If this were the only message of this psalm, that would be enough. It would be enough to know that wherever you are, however you're feeling, whatever you're going through, our majestic Lord loves and cares for you. You are on his mind. But that's not where it ends. See, the author of Hebrews uses this psalm to point us back to Jesus, where God's love for us shines so brightly. If you want to turn there, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. It says this, But someone somewhere has testified, well, that's David in Psalm chapter 8, What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man 
that you care for him. You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus, made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. The author of Hebrews uses this psalm to point us to Jesus where God's love shines so brightly. The whole Advent season is about King Jesus. This whole book is about King Jesus, and the author of Hebrews uses the book of Psalms to point to him now. After quoting our psalm this morning, we read then of God's love in Christ. See, the animals and the earth are subject to us. It's our responsibility to rule over it as image bearers of God. But Jesus, it's all his. It's all subject to him. He is under no one's authority. We've been crowned with glory, tasked with ruling the earth under the authority of God. But Jesus, he's been crowned with glory and honor and is seated in heaven, ruling and reigning over every millimeter of creation. We were crowned with glory as the pinnacle of God's creation, as created ones, as the ones who God chose to have a special relationship with. But Jesus was crowned with glory and honor and is King and Lord over all. Everything is subject to him. He controls it all. He rules it all. He is sovereign over it all. It's completely his. And yet, the world is still broken. We still suffer. We still feel pain. We still find ourselves saying it's just so difficult. We live in a tension of already and not yet. Everything is already subject to him. Everything is already subjected to our King Jesus. He's already won the battle and defeated death. He's already crowned with glory and honor, but we do not yet see everything subjected to him. One day when he returns in glory, we will. But for now, we wait. The author of Hebrews apparently knew this tension well, even almost 2,000 years ago when this was written. And if it was true then, if that tension was true then, it's certainly true today. So what was the response of the author to the fact that we don't yet see the world as it should be? He says, but we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus, the one who tasted death for you and for me. We don't see the world as it should be. One day we will, but as we wait, we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor, worthy of praise and adoration. God gave an unexpected gift. He is mindful of humanity amidst all our brokenness and sin and rebellion. As we look to Jesus and as we turn to him and trust in him for our salvation, we can experience freedom and life that are unmatched. It's an unexpected and totally undeserved gift. You are valued beyond what you can possibly imagine. 
You are valued beyond what you can possibly imagine. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, as an infant, not a conquering war hero, to live the life of a frail human. Jesus identified with us in his human life, and he lived a perfect, sinless one, doing what Adam was meant to do but never could. Then he went to the cross. He went to the cross for you. God took that device of death and torture and he transformed it into an instrument of salvation. A piece of wood where Jesus hung and bore the wrath of God for every sin that has ever been committed, past, present, and future. Jesus hung on that cross and as he breathed his last breath, he declared, it is finished. Sin and death would no longer have power. Jesus had defeated that final enemy and made a way for you and I to have a relationship with a God who loves us extravagantly, not because of anything that we bring to the table, but solely because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. You might be in a season where you're really hurting right now, and I've got two applications as we wrap up this morning. First, if you're hurting and you want healing. You want help. You want hope when everything seems bleak and you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus. Look to him. He will change your life. Jesus will change your life. He'll cleanse you of your sin and he'll forgive you. And if you just trust in him for your salvation, one day you will experience him in glory and the pain and hurt and suffering of this world will pale in comparison to that day. If you're not ready to do that right now, this morning, uh, to place your trust in him, but you're curious, you're curious about who Jesus is, and this year, during this Christmas and Advent season, you want to get to know a little bit more about him, I'd encourage you to go home and read the book of John and ask God to meet you there. If you want to talk more about how you can start a relationship with Jesus, come find me after the service or come find someone on our staff or just find anyone in the congregation and tell them, hey, I want to get to know more about this Jesus guy. And they'll point you to someone who can talk to you about who he is. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that we don't know what tomorrow holds. And so I urge you, if you're remotely curious about who Jesus is, don't wait. Don't wait until tomorrow to get to know him. Do it today. Do it today. Get to know who Jesus is. Second, we're about to sing a song in response. O come, all ye faithful. The chorus says this. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. I want to encourage you, believer, to let the message of the gospel, of God's glory, of his mindfulness, and of his love for you in Jesus Christ bring you to a posture of adoration this Advent season. When life feels desperate and bleak and you find yourself saying, it's just so difficult, turn to your Father in heaven and worship. He loves you. He cares for you. You are his. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love and care for us. We thank you for the reality that that's most true in the gospel, that Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood on our behalf so that we might be made right with you. Lord, we thank you that wherever we are this morning, however we're feeling, we can approach you. Lord, and you know where we are, and you know what, you're fe- what we're feeling, and you're empathetic to it because you've experienced it during your life here 
on earth, Lord. And so we just ask that as we uh, walk out this Advent season that you would meet us where we are, that you would meet us in that spot where we're saying it's just so difficult. Lord, you speak hope and truth and life into our hearts. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.